0: Beloved Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you notice when we read question 86 that it has the three parts of the catechism in it? It has misery, deliverance, and thankfulness. It has sin, salvation, and service, guilt, grace, and gratitude. The the catechism is not just a collection of a bunch of theological truths jumbled together for us to chew on Sunday after Sunday, but it is very, very carefully crafted to tell us the biblical story of salvation, the story of redemption. And so after having laid out from the Scriptures the truths of God's Word with respect to our sin and our lostness, and having made clear to us the glory of God's grace as it comes to sinners like us in the Lord Jesus Christ and how he has done it and how all we need to do is hold on to him in true faith and all of his blessings and gifts and righteousness come to us. The question the catechism asks now is perhaps faintly absurd. Why must we yet do good works? And that would be an absurd question if we understand good works to be things that are done out of thankfulness. But that has not yet been established, it's established in our minds, it's not yet established in the mind of the questioner in the catechism. The questioner is asking a very reasonable question, because up till now, from the beginning of the catechism to Lord's Day 31, the church has made it very clear that we can do nothing for our salvation, that our good works are absolutely without any use whatsoever for salvation. And so the questioner says, well, since they're kind of useless to get me saved, and since I am saved in Christ, why do I still need to do good works? And then the catechism answers with the teaching of Scripture. I'm going to use a a word picture This afternoon, I'm going to draw on some biblical analogies, especially the analogy of John 15, that Christ is the vine and we are the branches. And I want to go through the two Lord's Days before us using this this word picture. And I want to use the word picture of of a vine. Imagine, think of the human race as a vine and Adam as the the root from which we all grow as human beings. And that vine of the human race rooted in Adam was made to grow and to flower and to bear fruit and to be glorious and fruitful in the service of God, to reflect His beauty, His glory, his image in true righteousness and holiness. That's how things were made to be. But the fall poisoned everything. When we, when we look at this vine after the fall, we, we see that the vine has withered and died. And the air around it is polluted. And the soil in which it is uh, growing is toxic. And the toxic poison of sin and rebellion have deadened this vine, so that if it does produce anything resembling fruit, it is dry and bitter and withered and dead fruit. That's what the scripture says, that we in Adam are dead in our sins and trespasses, That's what the Lord Jesus tells us, that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. All we can do, and the Bible teaches that, and the Catechism confesses that, and we've been through that in former Lord's days, previous Lord's days, all we can do is come up with those shriveled, bitter, ugly fruits, which are the works of the flesh. And so that would kind of summarize The first part of the catechism, the part about sin and and lostness. And then moving on to the second part of the catechism, deliverance in Christ the Redeemer, Christ the last Adam. Jesus, the one who in John chapter 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus who represents a new start. Life in the place of death. Hope in the place of despair. And, and he is a different kind of root for a new and redeemed human race that is not in death, but is in life. And Lord's Day 7, if you remember Lord's Day 7 way back, Lord's Day 7, after having worked through the biblical teaching about salvation by grace in Christ alone... Well, J7 said, well, so now it's all fixed, right? Everybody died in Adam, and now Jesus has fixed everything, so everybody's alive in Christ. And then the Bible answered through the, and the and the confession echoed the, the answer of scripture. No, that's not how it works. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ. That's how it works. You've got to be cut out of that dead vine of fallen humanity. And you have to be grafted into this new and living vine, which is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. That transfer, which the Bible calls the the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That has to happen by the power of God. No branch can do that. No branch can decide, I'm going to cut myself off out of this vine, and I'm going to graft myself over into the other vine. That has to be done by the gardener. And so what we have since the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we have since the gospel has been preached and proclaimed in the world, there's two types of people. The difference between the church and the world is not that people in the world sin and we don't. We know very well that we are sinners, don't we? That's not the difference. The difference is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you in Adam so that all you can do is produce the works of the flesh, Or have you been grafted into Christ so that despite the many sins which still cling to you from your old self, you more and more begin to live a new life in the power of the blood and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the massive change and transformation which happens by the gospel. God comes to us. We are unlovable. We're these dry, shriveled, dead, toxic branches in a poisonous, shriveled, dead, toxic vine of fallen humanity. And God nevertheless comes to us, plucks us from that death, and transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love from the deadness of fallen humanity into the new life of the new human race grafted into Christ by faith. And so the Catechism speaks about that in the first part of answer 86. Having redeemed us by his blood. There's the the power of the blood which separates us from the world and separates the world from us which scrubs away the filth and the toxic poison and death of sin, the blood which makes us holy, which separates us unto God and gets rid of our sin and guilt. So that would be in our vine analogy that God cuts us out of the old vine and puts us into the new vine, into Christ. And you know, a lot of Christians stop right there. God forgives my sins. Amen. That's the end of the gospel. That's only part of the gospel. Because he not only redeemed us by his blood, he also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. You see, that change from the dead vine to the living vine, which is Christ, is not just a physical grafting if you think of grafting I think many of us understand how grafting works you you make an incision in the new plant in a larger branch of it and you and you cut the the new little branch or the little graft that you want to put into it in a certain way and you insert there's a physical connection that's made and it's often bound up in some kind of a way and that's all well and good, but that's only part of it, because something else has to happen. Besides that physical connection, there must be a vital connection, a life-giving connection. The, the life of the vine, the sap of the vine, must begin to flow into that grafted, uh, that grafted-in branch, so that it becomes part of the vine. And that is the visible transformation that God works and that God seeks in our lives. As we are cut off from the mass of fallen and dead humanity in Adam, as we are ingrafted into Christ by faith, the, the power of the blood of Christ washes us from the sin and the deadness and the power of the Spirit of Christ flows into us from Him and changes us so we begin to look like him, and think like him, and act like him, and desire what he desires. And we want to please him, and we want to praise him, and we want to obey him. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We no longer want to live like dry, unfruitful branches in the dead vine. We are alive. In Christ, and we want to bear fruit to His glory. That's just naturally what branches of a vine do—they flower and they fructify. Now, this tells us something about ourselves. When this happens, it tells us that God is at work, and that's it's a great comfort. You think of Galatians chapter five, and you think of that list uh, of the the fruit of the Spirit. And when we see the fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when we see these things filling us and characterizing us and flowing out from us, we look at these things and we say, wait a minute, that's not who I used to be. That's not who I am by nature. That's not my old nature at all. I I know who I am By nature, these are things which come from the power of the Spirit of Christ. And so, if I'm seeing these things in me, that tells me something about my connection with Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is an important thing to look for. It's an important thing to seek assurance in. Our our assurance is not that we can get to the end of the day and say, "You know, I've been a really good Christian. I've followed all the rules." But our assurance is that despite our many sins, and despite the fact that we've got a long way to go yet, we we begin to see more and more that Jesus is at work in us, that the spirit of Jesus is changing me, and he's making me more like him. And that is a glorious comfort when we see that. It tells us something about ourselves. It also tells us uh, It tells the world something about us. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through to 16, we looked at it a, a few weeks ago. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16 speaks about this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So so when the Spirit of God starts making us think and act and look more and more like Jesus, we see that and we praise God. God is at work in me. Glory to God. And then the world sees it. The world sees us changing. The world sees us becoming more and more like Jesus and shining more and more with his goodness, his grace, his holiness, and his love. And the world cannot help but give glory to God as they see his work in our lives. That's what salvation looks like. You know, salvation is not just a mechanical thing. Salvation is not just, I've I've been cut physically out of that dead vine, I'm physically in the new vine, wake me up when I get to heaven. I'm just going to sit here, unchanged, a dead branch tied on to that living vine, which is Christ. That's not... The gospel. That's not Christianity. That is not faith. but That is not salvation. Salvation involves a visible transformation in the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not just, I believe the right set of facts so I get to go to heaven. When Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, he's not going to give us a, a catechism quiz. He's not going to give us a, a theological examination. He's not going to run us through all the theological truths of the reformed faith. And if you've got them all right, you get to go to heaven. And if you get too many wrong, you go to hell. That's not how it works. The sad, agonizing truth that Jesus himself teaches us is that many will say, Lord, Lord, on that day. Lord, Lord. I did all kinds of religious things. I did all kinds of things in your name. I was tied into that new vine, which is Christ. Maybe just mechanically, but doesn't that count for something? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. He's not saying that to Gentiles. He's not saying that to pagans. He's saying that to people who externally are connected to the vine. What does that mean? Well, look at John chapter 15 if you have your Bible handy. John chapter 15. I just want to read the first love one another what do we what do we take away from this and from all of the scriptures this it's what question answer 87 confesses from the scripture can those be saved who do not turn to god from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life can those be saved who do not turn away from sin who do not embrace God's promises with true faith, who do not live in thankfulness for God's salvation in Christ, but continue impenitent. And what impenitent means is that they are not repentant. They hold onto their sins. So the description here in our word picture is of a branch. It may have been cut out of the, the mass of fallen humanity and temporarily placed into that new vine which is rooted in Christ. But that's it. There's just a mechanical outward connection. And that branch continues to be dry and unfruitful and shriveled. And instead of drinking in the life-giving sap of the new vine and producing fruit, and instead of that, it's drinking in the toxic poison of the world of sin and producing the bitter works of the flesh. And the Lord Jesus makes it very clear from the verses we've just read that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the gardener takes away. Verse 6, he says the same thing. He says much the same thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And that that truth is being confessed here in question and answer 87. You see, if sin is true, if salvation is true, then I really need to know and experience that visible transformation by the power of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul calls on the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 saying this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now, Some of us are not used to hearing exhortations like this. We want to come to church and we want to be told that we're fine and that we're okay, that God loves us no matter what's happening in our lives. But the apostle puts a sobering command upon us. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The scripture makes it clear that we ought not to be satisfied with an external connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, but that we need to seek from him and beg from him the power of his spirit in us to change us from glory to glory, into the image of Christ, God's Son. And so question that's 88, 89 and following, they, they speak about this process, because it is a process. You know, justification where God declares us righteous in Christ, that is a, that's in a one-time event. But sanctification where God makes us more and more holy and more and more like Jesus, that is an ongoing process. And in that process, all the traces of the old me are dying. They're being washed out of my life. They're disappearing. And more and more, the new me is growing and thriving and developing in Christ. That's something that every Christian wants. That's what, something that every Christian longs for. That's one of the main priorities of every Christian, that those two things are happening. The old me, my old nature, is dying. In fact, I'm mortifying the flesh. I'm stabbing it to death. I'm killing it. And I'm looking to God by the power of his Spirit to work in me more and more the new me, who I am in Christ. Now, how does that process work? Well, look in question answer 89. It involves grief for sin, grieving with heartfelt sorrow. Now, this is not just you know, when you happen to do something really stupid and there are some really bad consequences, you just you just weren't thinking and you and you committed a, a terrible sin and there are horrible consequences in your life is really painful and unpleasant right now. And so you grieve with heartfelt sorrow. That's not what the catechism is speaking about, and that's not what the scripture instructs us to. It's not just one-off things when things are going really bad. It is to grieve. For sin, for any sin, for every sin, with heartfelt sorrow, not because that sin necessarily makes my life worse. Maybe that sin is making my life better in the short term, maybe it's making me richer. Maybe it's making my life more comfortable, more convenient, more pleasurable. Maybe I'm not yet experiencing the pain that this sin certainly will bring, either to me or to Christ. But it doesn't matter what that sin is doing to me or how much it's hurting me right now. The fact that it's there bothers me because I love God, and I don't want to offend Him, and I grieve over sin. David has this attitude in Psalm 51, against you, against you only have I sinned. He understands, despite all the other levels and layers in the situation, that the main thing is that he has sinned against the most high majesty of God. You see, because faith is not faith in a set of facts. When, When we sin, we're not sinning against a creedal statement. We're not sinning against a set of theological truths. We're not sinning against a bunch of congregational rules for how you're supposed to act. But when we sin, we sin against God. Because faith is knowing God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Faith is knowing the person of God and the works of God. Faith is loving God. Faith is trusting God. Faith is embracing God's promises in Christ. And when you really love someone, you don't want to make them sad. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to do anything to displease them. When you really, really love someone and you've hurt them, then a reproachful look can cut to your heart and an approving smile can make your heart burst with joy. And that's why, question answer 90, that's why we have joy when we see God the Spirit changing us. Because we see the new me. I love God because he loved me First. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was a child of wrath, but now I am a child beloved by God. And I want to be, I want to live how he made humans to be and to live. To his glory, in his image in true righteousness and holiness, in love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, goodness and kindness. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like my Father in heaven. This is the will of God for his children, and I want to live according to that will. Now, these good works that we delight in when we see God working them in us, they are the result of God's work. When that branch that was dead. It was cut out of the, that old toxic and poisonous and dead vine. It was grafted into that living vine, the root of which is Christ. And the power of the vine, the life of the vine, has filled it and made it alive and produced leaves and, and fruit. That grafted in branch is not going to say, well, look what I did. Is, am I not amazing? Wow, I'm so impressed with myself. No, That branch is being fruitful because it abides in Christ. It is his work and it is his glory. These are the fruit that testify to the visible transformation and the power of the Spirit that is part of salvation. Now, we do these good works. There are three criteria here in true faith. What does Jesus say? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. People do all kinds of stuff for Jesus. But unless we do things out of faith in him, out of love for him, by the power of his spirit and according to his will for us, then it is not of faith and it is not a good work. It's worked in us. By the power of the Spirit, in true faith, in accordance with the law of God. That's another criterion for good works, that God works in us. He's never going to work things in us that are outside of his will. You know, sometimes people say, well, God's just really moving me to do this. You know, I, I just really feel moved to, to do this or to do that. And, and you look at them and say, well, but what you're feeling moved to do is against the Word of God. And they say, well, but the Spirit's telling me that I should be doing it. And then your answer should be, well, maybe some spirit's telling you, but if it's against the Word of God, it's not the Spirit of God that's telling you this. It has to be in accordance with the will of God, the revealed will of God. And the will of God is very simple. Love God, love your neighbor. The law is summed up in one word, love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And if you are grafted into Christ, really grafted into Christ, then the love of God is poured into your heart. And the most natural thing in the world is to love. Because that's what you're full of. That's what comes out of you. That's what overflows from you. And that is what the law is. It's that simple. Living in love. You know, the, the sinner finds the law terrifying. The sinner finds the law hard work. The sinner finds the, the law condemnatory and accusatory. Because the sinner cannot keep the law. And all the law does to the sinner is shows him or her his lostness and his sin, and his guilt. And so it's a frightful terror to those who are living in sin. But the law is joy to the righteous, because it tells us who we are. It describes who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and what Christ is working in us more and more by the power of his Spirit. When we hear the law on Sunday mornings, yes, it it reminds us of our sin, so we can kill the sin, repent from our sin, but more importantly, it shows us who we are in Christ. So we can say, wow, Lord, you are amazing. This is what you're doing in my life. This is how you're changing me. And what happens? What happens when sinners like us are visibly transformed by the power of the Spirit? Well, God is glorified. We are a light in the world. And when people come into contact with us, when they see how we think and how we talk and how we act, they get a taste of heaven. People see our good works and they give glory to our Father in heaven. And God sees our good works, that he works in us and he is pleased with what he has worked in us, with what he has made us to be. This is what Jesus died for, brothers and sisters. And I'm beating on this, um, how do I see this? I'm hammering on the same thing over and over and over. I'm repeating myself purposefully here. Jesus did not die so we could recite the right theological truths. The theological truths are very, very important to know and to believe, but he didn't die so that we could just mouth them, or memorize them, or recite them, or hold each other to them. Jesus died to make us alive. Jesus died to manifest his power and his glory and his love in us and through us. Jesus died so that our lives would not remain dead and shriveled and unfruitful, but that we would know the power of the blood of Christ and the power of the spirit of Christ so that we could be changed more and more to look like him so that when the Father looks at us in Christ, He can say, My child, you are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Now we're going to sing hymn 81. And hymn 81 speaks about these truths. It speaks about the power of the blood of Christ in breaking the power of reigning sin and setting the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. It speaks about the power of Christ's blood. And then it also speaks about the transforming power and the new life given by the Holy Spirit of Christ. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, the mournful broken hearts rejoice, The humble, poor believe. This is the work of Christ our Savior. This is the power of his blood. This is the power of his spirit. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Amen.